Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Eat Local New York podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Tringale, and in this week's episode, I am sitting down and talking with Pat Orr, owner of PB&J's Lunchbox. Well, I'm thrilled to have Pat on. I don't know why I, I it took me so long. I've just I've I was sitting down this week, uh, or maybe it was last week. I forget. That was this week, and making a list of of videos we're going to have coming out soon, and restaurants to go check out, and, and potential podcast guests. And I was just going through the list of Eat Local New York members, and the first thing that popped up was Pat. I was like, man, why have I not asked her to come on the podcast before? So I'm glad that I finally did. I had a wonderful time talking with Pat about a variety of things. Pat's a great you know, restaurant owner. She's been in business for so many years, had the food truck going since 2012. And, um, and uh, you know, I used to visit the cafe that she had on James Street, and then they, you know, they moved to Old Liverpool Road. And uh, they've got, you know, bigger location, cool spot up there. I was up there, I think, in the spring. I'm actually going back today, I think, to do a video. But I was up there in the spring and, and had we did a video, and they have this buffalo chicken grilled cheese or chicken wing dip grilled cheese. It was absolutely delicious. Um, and, you know, they're part of the Eat Local New York card, but I highly recommend getting out there and checking them out at the at the cafe on Old Liverpool Road or at any of the food truck events that they're going to be at because, you know, they're a prominent member in the Food Truck Association uh, with PB&J's Lunchbox. So... Anyways, thrilled to have Pat on the podcast. Such a diverse person. I mean, you know, Pat has gone from a career as a prof- as a professional photographer, still does a lot of stuff. You know, I'm friends with Pat on Facebook, and so it's always fun for me to see when she's out uh, photographing these you know, boxing matches. And, uh, you know, anyways, just really cool. Thrilled to have had her on the podcast and, and get to know a little bit more about her. And, uh, and her take on food and photography and all that kind of stuff. So a great time for sure. Um, you know, today it's the, it's the February 2nd. Things feel like they're turning around. <laughs> the winter here in Syracuse was nothing what I thought it was going to be. For some reason, I thought it was going to be this drastically uh, horrible winter. Uh, and it has not been. As a matter of fact, I think it's been the most mild winter. And I, it, it is a little scary because I feel like every year I say, Man, this, there's really nothing to this winter. But this year, there really was nothing to this winter. I think we had the one bad storm here in Syracuse, and it really wasn't even that bad. We got like six inches, I think. Uh, but anyways, coming. I know winter's not over, but coming into February just feels like you know it's a little brighter out today. Just things feel like uh, they're starting to turn around. This is kind of we're getting into the busy season. I feel like. You know, somebody who's been doing marketing now for restaurants and content creation, social media for restaurants for the past eight, nine years. I can say, like, if there's one trend I've learned over the past four years, it's that this kicks off busy season or starts to get into busy season. I feel like, I don't know if this is true, I'm assuming it is, restaurants, you know, come out of the holidays. It's like you don't really have to do a whole hell of a lot in November and December to really convert sales or get customers in your door during the holidays. January, everybody knows it's going to be dead. And so they, they, they're kind of just like, I feel like a lot of them are just kind of taking a break themselves that they deserve from coming off the holidays. And then as end of January hits and February starts to come around, I start getting flooded with calls and emails and texts and DMs from restaurant owners who are like, hey, like we're coming into busy season. We want to start meeting with people now and talking about what we're going to do this year. And so, you know, over the past like, um, few years, I've just always said yes to anything. It's like the opportunity popped up. I was like, yeah, let's jump on it. But this year I'm really, you know, I'm I'm shifting the yummy social side of the business, the side that really makes money and keeps the lights on. Um, I'm, I'm keeping, you know, the clients that I've got now doing, managing their marketing, managing their social media. But now moving forward, I'm kind of moving into the content creation side where it's just going to be like, hey, restaurant owner, I'll show up and, and once a month and give you 30 pictures and videos and you do with them what you will. Um, instead of taking on new clients where I'm in charge of their Facebook and their Instagram account because, you know, it's just too much work and um, and it's not worth the struggle, you know, to be quite honest. At 37 years old, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with my schedule now that I've developed for the past, like, month, and that involves me leaving my house like 7 a.m. for the most part every day, coming to the studio, doing some work, being home by 4, 4.30, and, uh, 
and then not working for the rest of the night. Because for the past couple of years, it's like I've done that, but then I've just started when our, my wife and my son go to bed around like 7 or 8 o'clock. Then I am working until midnight and then up at 7. And it just it's not worth it is what I've realized. So, And I feel like I've talked to some restaurant owners recently who are kind of in the same boat. It's like, you know... Um, if you if you do stay up those extra two three hours and grind and work on something, can you can you maybe get a fractional you know uh, percentage better or, or advance a little bit more? Sure, but is it worth it for your mental health? As much as I hate that term, mental health, like oh, it's my mental health that my my mental health gives me the excuse to do anything I want. That's not what I'm saying, but you know, at the end of the day, like. I don't know, the journey of being a business owner is really what, you know, is, is you know, the majority of life. I feel like it's easy to set a goal and then just spend your entire life focusing on hitting that goal. And for some, you hit it sooner rather than later. Um, I think I'm probably in the later category of people who are going to hit their goals. And uh, at 37, I think I've, I've, I've accepted that. But what I've realized over the past few months, six months, I'd say, is that you know, if my goal is going to come later in life, then maybe don't ruin the journey <laughs> by, uh, you know, worrying and being, you know, filled with anxiety over, oh, God, I need to stay up this next hour and, and try and pump out this graphic or pump out this edit or, or you know, whatever the hell it is. So uh, that's where it is. That's where I'm at, you know. And uh, I'm excited, though, because, you know, spending... Spending, you know, trying to to not maximize every five minutes of my day uh, means that I'm, I'm, you know, starting to spend more time here in the studio, and I, I've lined up some really great podcasts. Um, I, I recorded this with Pat, wonderful conversation. Later, they after I recorded this yesterday. Later on in the afternoon, I recorded an episode that's coming out next week with Joe from Slice Pizza out in Utica. Had a great time talking to him and getting to know him more. Um, next week, I've got a couple of guys coming on who one of them's from Syracuse originally, and, and he's, uh, him and his, his, uh, uh, his partners have started a Mezcal company. So I'm excited to have them come in and talk to me about that. I've got some awesome stuff coming up with Nick, Nick Pascal's coming back on Joey from uh, home team pubs coming on. Uh, so we've just got some great episodes coming out and I can't wait to get those, uh, recorded and edited and released. Um, but I do want to talk to you about one very important thing, and that is supporting local businesses. Brown Carbonic is a sponsor here on the Eat Local New York podcast, and I know I talk about them every single week, and I usually get really infuriated <laughs> with, a, with a hypothetical person every time I do this intro. I'm not going to do that today. But I do just want to encourage you um, uh, on the importance of supporting local and buying from local businesses in our community and brown carbonic, it falls right there. You know, when we support local, it's not support. When we work with local companies who are great at what they do, who offer exceptional services and products at an affordable price and, and, and service our, our businesses so well, um, that's what I'm talking about. It's not support. It's not a donation. It's working with the best company. And that is brown carbonic in their fields. From craft sodas and beverages to mixed gases, mixed gases with your nitrogen and your CO2 for your draft beer system. And the list goes on and on about all the things that they can offer for hospitality-based businesses. But Brown Carbonic is a local family-owned and operated business. So when you work with them, not only do you get their exceptional product and service at a better price than their competitors, but you're also keeping more of those dollars right here in the central New York community. So that's why it's so important to support local businesses. It's one of the reasons why I started Eat Local New York was to support local businesses and, and strengthen our community. And um, and so, yeah, so you should you can fall right into that line very easily for your restaurant or bar by working with Brown Carbonic. So call them at 315-454-3591. Again, 315-454-3591. Make sure that you tell them you heard about them right here on the Eat Local New York podcast. And remember, Brown Carbonic, they put the fizz in your biz. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Pat Orr from PB&J Lunchbox. I mean, you were, you're a professional photographer. Like, how long were you doing that? Oh, were you doing that before the restaurant? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Since, like, 82. Wow. And, um... 
in 2012, I started the, the food truck. Okay. So up until then, and then I did photography for a good five five years into it. Yeah. And then I just kind of backed off. Hmm. I used to do um, Syracuse University. I used to do a, um, it was a national security studies. So they would bring in 50 um, two and three star generals and um, you know Lockheed Martin people from all the defense yeah. defense things and they would do seminars. Hmm. And it was like an eight-week class when it started. Hmm. And um, they would be in the classroom up at Maxwell School. And so we were in a, you know, like a little theater that was, you know, specifically for stuff like that hmm. from like 8 in the morning to 8 at night. Wow. And, you know, doing all that and stuff. So, and then once the budget's cut and that got cut, I, I quit doing that. Yeah. That was the last big photography job. Hmm. I mean, it was like a... Like an eighty thousand dollar job. Holy because hell! Because I did video, <laughs> I did video and photos. Oh wow! And and then I would put together like a highlight video at the end of the, the uh-huh. course forum and stuff. So it was very involved and yeah. I mean, it took up all my time. And in between, like I would shoot the beginning of one speaker and then the end of another speaker. Hmm. Then I would leave, come back and shoot the end of that one. And I'd go <laughs> shoot sports. I'd shoot games in between, run into North Syracuse. Wow! And, and stuff. It was. It was hustling. Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely hustling. That's wild. Yeah. I've got a, a friend of mine uh, who is a prof- he's a professional photographer, and, and he started around here, but then now they moved to South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And the opportunities that blew up, like he's about an hour from Myrtle Beach. Uh-huh. He would do, he had done some first shooter wedding stuff, but a lot of the stuff he was doing was like second shooter yeah. around here. And he might get one or two, like nothing crazy, but, you know, make a little bit of money. Um he went to Myrtle Beach, and there's this guy that has a business just doing beach wedding beach. shoots. Yeah, portraits and stuff. And it's nothing, it's not detailed. There's no reception because it's a lot of people that are just yeah. going down there just to get have their ceremony. And then, like, there's, like, six of them, yeah. and then they go to the restaurant, and that's it. It's not like oh, these massive, goodness. stressful weddings. <laughs> but my buddy Steve will be second shooter, and, and they charge crazy amounts of money down there for it oh yeah so he might get a thousand bucks for like an hour with no editing to be a bee shooter to be a bee shooter on a beach like, real quick that's like the best the best part of weddings is the bee shooting because it's yeah. so easy you know you right. put on a little longer lens and you get people they don't even know you're taking pictures and yeah that used to be the best part yeah i mean dennis you know dennis fernando oh yeah right i mean some of his wedding videos his all of his stuff but some of his wedding videos he, he's produced i'm like Holy cow! I can't get over how good they are. They're cinematic. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy how good he is. Yeah. He's so talented. Um, I hate <laughs> people like that because I see their stuff. I love Dennis. He's a good friend, but I hate. It's like I see their stuff. I'm like, I suck so much when you see their their work. It's like, wow, why am I doing this? It's the style, though. It's not that you suck. It's yeah. a style. Yeah. You know, like there was a guy that used to do video like that, and it was. Um, you know, he zoomed in and all the slow mm-hmm. action stuff like the they do in in the you know movies and stuff, yeah. and and it was incredible twenty years ago mm-hmm. because nobody else did that. Right. But now that's all you see. Yeah. But it definitely took wedding videos up to up yeah. a step. Oh, you know? for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Even <laughs> like restaurant stuff, I see restaurants today. Um, not a ton in Syracuse, maybe like one or two, but. Uh, um, Actually, maybe just one that I know of, but um, to go like being in New York City and following Instagram accounts down there, or Detroit, even wherever um, bigger markets. Some of the videos that these restaurants put out of their food that they have somebody come in, it's yeah. like holy cow! Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the just for a short fifteen second Instagram video, and it's one of the most like beautiful things I've ever seen before. Yeah, um, I can't imagine the kind of money that they spend on that stuff. I know it's crazy. Yeah. But imagine it's the, I mean, just the look alone will right. draw people to your restaurant. Yeah, for sure. You know, and yeah. then they're out of curiosity. You're going to at least get them once. Right. You know, and then hopefully you get them to come back. Yeah. But, hmm. but yeah. I thought about that. I, I tried it. And this past year we had a restaurant reach out in Poughkeepsie and, you know, I was trying to, I was trying to do more paid video work then. And, and, um, so, uh, they were like, can you come down? We'll give you a gift card if you come down and make a video. I was like, well, it's a four-hour drive each way. Yeah. Like, that's not going to fly. It's going to be four gift cards. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> One per hour. <laughs> yeah. 
So I was like, I'll do it for 500 bucks. It was the most I had asked for a restaurant for a video yet. And, and they were like, okay, great. And so I wound up make, give, doing like four videos for them. Yeah. Um, super easy to work with. I showed up. They had everything ready. I like, we made the video. They handed me a check when I was leaving, which never happens. Yeah, you got to beg for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, and so I was thinking to myself, well, this will be easy. I just... Maybe the secret is I just have to get out of Syracuse. I have to get into a bigger market. And um, so I started focusing on like Rochester. And then I was trying to put focus on a New York City. It was like, well, New York sh- City should be super easy. I'll just message people. I'll say I'm going to be yeah. down on this day. I'll, and then I'll fly <laughs> down. Nope. Incredibly hard in New York City. It is so difficult to break into New York City and yeah. get people. I mean, I've, I've obviously I haven't messaged everybody. Maybe I've messaged like, 50 restaurants out of the 15,000 that there yeah. are. But, uh, yeah, it's it's surprising. You think your difficult. price would get you in just because even if you tripled right. your price here, it's still cheaper than New York City. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. But even just starting the conversation with them, it's like, <laughs> nope, nope, we don't do that. We do, you know, we do it this way or, you know, just whatever the case is. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I it's... I got calls to do, like, bar mitzvahs or something down there a couple times. And oh, really? Just the logistics of it. I just wouldn't be able to handle it yeah. stress-wise. I'm like a non-stress shooter, you know. Yeah. It's like I, nothing bothered me. Is yeah. I used to print at Wainwright Photo, and we used to have photographers come in here. You know, they'd sweat through their suit at a wedding. They were so <laughs> nervous, you know, and stuff. And I was like, oh, you, sh- you should sweat through your suit. Yeah. <laughs> Look what you did. You right. Know, like, <laughs> we had one guy, he, he uh, was holding his camera with his lens up. Uh-huh. Hot <laughs> summer day, oh. drip of sweat oh. on the lens shot the group shot of everybody that was there in Hendrix Chapel stairs. Oh, my God. And uh, it was back before oh. digital where you could fix it. Yeah. And he actually fixed it himself, you know, and we made one big print, and wow. I touched up, and he touched up. And, wow. But that was, uh, yeah. that was crazy. <laughs> I um, There's a, a, a brewery owner in town who got married, you know, 10, 8, 10 years ago. And there's a local photographer who most of us know, and I won't mention their <laughs> names. Um, but she she doesn't, she doesn't do it anymore because of the situation. But apparently they had hired her to do the photos, her wedding photos, and they were so bad. Oh, or I don't, know, I don't know if a file got corrupted or if just the quality of the photos were bad or what happened. But they were so bad that they actually sued her. And, and you know, they won back essentially like the $5,000 they had paid her. Um, 5,000 for a wedding. Yeah. But, uh, um, and then she stopped, she was, she got out of it from that, you know, that's, but, uh, that's yeah. a killer. Yeah, for sure. You no, know? I mean, how could you ever have confidence after that? Oh, no, not at all. I did, um, <clears throat> I did, uh, um, we hired this phot- wedding photographer, Rachel, I forget Rachel's last name. Um, and, but it were shortly after she photographed and she did a great job. I think our wedding was Fifteen or eighteen hundred dollars, and she was really, really talented. Got yeah. some great shots, um, and then shortly after, now she's the photographer at Dinosaur Barbecue. Oh wow! Yeah, and she wow. does a great job there. She does like all the pizza stuff, and yeah, um, and so that was kind of cool. But um, to see her go there because you know doing a little work with them and stuff. Yeah. Every time I see her, I'm like, hey, you took my wedding pictures. <laughs> uh, but I couldn't like I did when I, when I first went to college, uh, almost. Jesus, geez, almost, holy shit, almost 20 years ago, uh, 22 right years ago, yeah. <laughs> um, I went for sound engineering, and I couldn't get a job. I was in Cincinnati. I could not get a job, any, any like, recording studio or anywhere. And so finally there is this Craigslist ad for a, a sound engineer saying, I run sound for live bands and do lighting. Hire me for your next band's gig. And so I called him, and I said, it was like, look, you don't have to call it an internship. You don't have to pay me anything. Just tell me where you're going to be, when you're going to be there. I'll show up. I'll help do all the grunt work and and just let me be around it and just learn. I just graduated from the recording workshop. Right. And and he was like, I graduated from there back in 81. Uh, he's like, so, all right, fine. Meet me at this this bar on th- this Friday night at 6 and and you can help. And, uh, and so he let me help and then, but he paid me from like the first gig. And so then for like a year, that's what I did on, on weekends, we would do, go to sports bars and, and run sound for these bands. And, 
but he would get a couple wedding gigs with them. And I'll never forget the first wedding. It was it was all CD based back then. Yeah. And and he said and I had at the reception the bridal party was going to walk into the U2 song, A Beautiful Day, which had like just come out at the time. Right. And But it was like they wanted for each couple walking down the stairs in like this museum, they wanted that just the opening, like this one section. So not only did I have to make sure it was on that section, like hit play on the music and pray nothing got fucked up, <laughs> but I had to on the CD like skip – ahead like five seconds you know or whatever it was right. so it started when it oh, did yes and then start and, and it was just and i've never been so nervous in my life just to like hit play on a cd player i could not imagine photographing somebody's wedding oh my god it's you know i used to it never used to bother me yeah it was just taking pictures and and i'm not one to be in the spotlight mm-hmm so a lot of my stuff was longer distance yeah. and, you know, not in people's faces. And yeah. That was one of the things I noticed, like, when digital came along, that photographers were in people's faces all the time, hmm. with wider lenses and real close up. And then they're in the way of everybody else, Yeah, you know? And um, hmm. so I would always, when I deliver stuff, they're like, oh, my God, I didn't even know you took pictures of that. Oh, that's wild. You know, and that was, like, the biggest compliment to me, and that's what I looked for. Yeah. Because I didn't want to be part of the show. I wanted mm. to cover the show. Yeah, for sure. And and nowadays, it's totally different. Mm. You know, I mean, at the end of my wedding years was the start of digital, and mm. it was like, okay, people are laying in the aisle at the church getting pictures of mm. angles like that. And yeah. it's like, but you're so rude. You're being so rude. You know, it's a wedding. It's yeah. their day. So yeah. So it's uh, it's a different breed out there. And oh, for sure. Different. You know, everybody crops everything now. Yeah. You know, back with film, you had to... You yeah. had to make the picture, right? Yeah, you know. So, and transitioning to mm. to digital, you know, was like, well, I still made the pictures, mm-hmm. so I didn't have to do the work on the computer, right? And it just seems like I've had people shoot, you know, second shooters for me, and everything's wide, mm-hmm. and they want to crop everything. Yeah, and I was like, but you know, when you crop, you lose, right? And and stuff, and yeah, but it's yeah, it's different. Yeah, for sure. I still, I mean, I just did a, a shoot for Fair Deli and I took like 300 pictures in, mm-hmm. in an hour and a half span, you know, yeah. and and then get back and I've, I've got like 50 of those 300, you know, that are, yeah. you know, where I'm like, all right, those are good. Yeah. And then, and I've I've always been, Gary, I've, you know, I listen to Gary Vaynerchuk, like big serial entrepreneur mm-hmm. and talks a ton like his whole world is about marketing and branding so I've followed his stuff for years and you know he's he's a type of guy where like his personal accounts he'll post five times a day per platform different wow. content on each platform wow so he's putting out like 30 pieces of content a day of videos of him whether it's like talking to a business owner or you know giving advice or whatever the hell it is yeah. so just an insane amount of work but his his thing is like don't don't micro edit your content essentially just like create it and get it out there creating and so for like the last i'd say five years four years that's been my mentality of like it doesn't need to be perfect it just needs to exist like just get it out there get it out there and then now i'm starting to change where i'm like i think it has to be well like nothing's ever going to be perfect but it needs to be as close to it as, as i can get like the best quality and so now i'll spend maybe you know, if I go out and do a two-hour photo shoot, I might spend five hours at night in Lightroom with oh, Adobe. Yeah. Oh yeah. Trying to you know make everything perfect or tweak it. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoy doing that, and I also really hate doing that. Oh yeah, I mean I hate doing it. That's main reason I got out of it. Yeah. You know, and it's like, well, I lost like a. I used to do printing for collectors. Okay. In the boxing world, and mm. you know, autograph people, mm. and. Um, you know, they would go to a concert, take pictures, send me the negatives, and I would print eight by tens. Oh, cool! And I had my own one-hour processor and printer mm. in my office. Oh, wow! And you know, I had it down to a science where I knew how much, how much chemicals to add to get it up to the top, so that mm. I could bounce out and let stuff print for a couple hours. Mm. And um, you know, so it was like a ton of work. I worked till like three, four o'clock in the morning all the time. Wow. I had yeah. like probably fifteen or twenty collectors. Mm. And when Olympus came out with a die sub printer. Mm-hmm. 
I lost my biggest one, which was like a $35,000 a year mm. collector. Wow. And he, I lost him immediately because he could print only what he needed. Wow. Instead of, yeah. you know, all the other stuff. But it was double the cost of what mm. he paid for me. Yeah. But he figured with shipping and stuff that it would be better. Mm. You know, and then within That's a week, a week or two weeks, I lost all of them. Wow. Gone. It's like, oh. That's crazy. <laughs> I got to do something else. Yeah. <laughs> you know. That's wild. Yeah. So it, it was a, you know, when you do your own printing and stuff, you have the control of it. Yeah. And, and then, you know, the, the prints didn't, you had to go to a digital printer. Yeah. So I bought a digital printer that hooked up to my computer, but it was like just a nightmare the whole time. Mm. I was really kind of glad to see it go. Yeah. Because of the cost in, mm. in that. And, and I put like a $16,000 printer out to the street for scraps. Wow. So it was, you know. Yeah, that's wild. <clears throat> yeah. Is that when you got into the restaurant business? Yep. Was that around that time? Yep. Okay. Yeah, 2012. It was like, you know, the year before that. And then hmm. we were sitting at like New Year's Eve with friends. And, hmm. you know, somebody goes, what would everybody do if they weren't doing what they did now? Hmm. And and I said, I'd, I'd probably own a food truck because hmm. I just love to cook and I love the, you know, the aspect of it. Yeah. Didn't know how much work it was. <laughs> it was much easier making money at photography back then. <laughs> I didn't have to work as hard, but yeah. but um, just you, you love what you do, and yeah. and then it's not a job, and that's what photography was all those years. And mm-hmm. I traveled all over shooting boxing, so hmm. it was you know I got to see a lot and that's meet cool. a lot of people and stuff. So it hmm. was it was a good thing. Yeah. <clears throat> so what? Because I like I don't know much history except for like seeing you post over the years that I've known you from different like boxing matches and photographing mm-hmm. it and down at you know the hall of fame and whatnot so what got you really into like boxing photography or boxing in general you know I always watched boxing when I was a kid wide world of sports you mm-hmm. know Friday night fights and stuff um and I was from Canastota where Carmen Basilio and Billy Backus were from so I always had that in my head and, mm-hmm. and you know and um, one Mother's Day, we took my mom to Graziano's for dinner, mm. and we got done, and we said, what do you want to do? You want to go get ice cream or something? And she goes, no, I want to go to the Boxing Hall of Fame. <laughs> I was like, what? It's <laughs> like, okay, that's cheap. <laughs> you know, let's, let's go, Dad. <laughs> and uh, we went over, and um, you know, Ed was asking me what I did for a living, and I told him I was a professional photographer. And he goes, well, geez, would you like to shoot our mm. ceremony and our induction? I was like, yeah, I'll do it. That's cool. You know, I volunteered. Yeah. I still volunteer. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, but yeah. it's, you know, it's a passion, though. It's, uh, yeah. you know, the first year there was, like, Bob Foster, Carmen Basilio, hmm. um, Mohammed Ali. And, I mean, it was like, wow. holy crap. Yeah. You know, look at these people. And I'm sitting front row. You wow. Know? And hmm. so that was like a, that's an adrenaline rush yeah. and something like that. And I knew the fighters. Hmm. You know, I knew the names. I watched TV and, yeah. and stuff. So, it was um, it was incredible to see such a violent sport, hmm. but the people that participated, yeah, like ninety percent of them are like gentle giants. Yeah, you know the personalities, the hmm. the kindness, the you know they'd sign autographs and take hmm. pictures, and you know it was it was good for them. Yeah, and you know just it was a small small year because it was the first one. It was like nineteen ninety, hmm. and. Um, at the end of it, it was like, damn, you know, this is fun, you know. And he goes, listen, he goes, I really liked what you did. And, mm. you know, would you like to be our photographer? And I said, sure. Wow, that's and, awesome. You know, it helped because I printed my own stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I had that ability to save money. Um, mm. I knew the Fuji reps and the Kodak reps. So they would give me, like, 200 rolls of film to shoot. They wow. donated it to me. Wow. And um, so it was, you know, it was, I didn't have to spend a lot. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of time, but... Yeah, but it was um, you know who else gets to sit with uh, Mike Tyson or Sylvester Stallone down in the basement of the Hall of Fame as they go through memorabilia and hmm. just tell stories like nobody ever heard hmm. before. Um, That's wild. <clears throat> yeah, so it was it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I still like it. I yeah. just I have uh, Greg Gordon helps me hmm. now, and I'm trying to pass the baton a little bit because I yeah. just don't have the computers or the time. Yeah. To to do the processing oh for sure so it's it's um it's just complicated yeah um i can't imagine like an event like that i couldn't imagine what a memory card looks like at the end of that you know how many photos and whatnot so many of them yeah i mean it's it's a lot Hmm. it's like it starts real weak on a thursday 
Mm-hmm. You know, you shoot maybe one card, and then yeah. Tuesday or Friday you're going to like three cards, and then Saturday you're up to like fifteen, <laughs> and then Sundays, you know, it's it's yeah. um, you have all the different stages. It's a lot harder with it at the Turning Stone mm. logistically. Yeah, you know, because it's so big and it takes so long to get to places, and yeah, their staff doesn't know that you know. Even though you have a badge that says Boxing Hall of Fame photographer, they still don't want to let you into places. Oh, and you yeah. got to fight to get in and and stuff. But um, hmm. you know the 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 Turning Stone's beautiful though, so it's, yeah, you yeah, know, it works. But yeah, yeah, they've really they're really <laughs> going after it down there. Um, it's yeah. really cool to see all the developments that they're making. You know, yeah. Um, I've done a little bit of work with them, and uh, but they're kind of a tough nut to crack sometimes. Like. The Lago Casino, if I, like, they, they'll reach out to Instagrammers and, like, hey, come have dinner. Yeah. If I contacted DeLago right now and said, like, hey, I'm going to be in town. Can I get a room and dinner? Yeah. And I'll post about it. They'd be like, sure. If I said that to Turning Stone, they, like, just wouldn't respond. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's a di- it's definitely a different casino. Yeah. I mean, it's a different atmosphere in, in that, but. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's too bad sometimes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because I think that. I think that the people miss out mm-hmm. when they're, you know, they engage their way and they don't spread sure. their wings. Yeah, it's, yeah, I agree. Makes it tough. Yeah, I um the first year that the amphitheater had opened up, I it was the same year. I was still trying to figure out stuff with Eat Local, and and we had a blog and assert to us like maybe for a summer we did, and I had three writers that were like volunteering time, or I'd pay just a little bit of money to. I paid Margaret McCormick to like kind of the editor for the yeah. blogs and um and so i think we only did like two or three months of and but we would try to put out like five dip new blogs like serious blogs a month yeah. and we had this one guy he was a yeah actually he was a photographer anthony cristiano i think mm-hmm. um and so <laughs> he would go out and cover like events so he did like there was the food tour back then in syracuse he went and like covered that yep. he did uh tap into the most um, and then for the amp, it was the first year of the amphitheater. So I was like, Hey, it might be kind of cool to cover, you know, the concerts up there. So, um, we would get press passes to go up there and, and, you know, yeah. shoot them. And one of the first ones he couldn't make. So I did, it was like, it was Keith Urban played at the amphitheater. Oh, yeah, he was awesome. <laughs> yeah. And so I didn't know how any of this worked. And I had like my shitty Sony, uh, Two, like A7 II, like bad camera. I had my, I think I had my kit lens 28 to 70 on, you know, 3.5, uh, like yeah. not a great lens to have right. for an event, for a venue. But I didn't know how the logistics worked when you're at a concert venue of like what the rules were. They just said, we'll have the press pass for you. We're going to go, you meet here at this time. We're going to go as a group and then we'll, as a group, we'll walk you out. I thought that was a, like a suggestion. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so I showed up late. I go to the box office. I've got like my tiny dinky camera with me. And um, and I go to the box. I was like, yeah, I think there's a press pass. Then they handed it to me. I walked through security with my press pass on. <laughs> I proceeded to walk all around the amphitheater. Like pictures. I was up at the front row. I was, the back. I was all <laughs> over that place, just walking around with my camera, taking pictures. Man, this is awesome. You, you were know? cowboying <laughs> it. <laughs> so I get home that night, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, all right, I'll be, I'll be nice. I send an email to them. Hey, just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity. I had such a great time. It was a great show. And immediately I get back, what are you talking about? You weren't at our meetup. It was like, no, I showed up late. But, you know, again, just wanted to say thanks. <laughs> they were like, you're not allowed to do that. You have to send these pictures to us immediately. You can't use them. And uh, and then all of a sudden somebody else has copied, like their head of security. John, please tell us how on earth, you know. And then John's right, John writes back, Anthony, what was the color of the shirt? What color shirt was the person wearing who let you in? And, and so and I wound oh up, God. I wound up sending them all the pictures unedited. I was, and they were like, if they were like, if we ever see these on the internet, like you'll be in oh, trouble. Oh, and they would find them. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Oh yeah. So I've got all these like, I've got a couple good pictures, but most of them are pretty shitty because I had like a 70 millimeter, and I'm you know 100 right. yards away, right. and. Uh, um, but uh, and so that it was just like I still have them on a hard drive somewhere, but of Keith Urban, you know, and uh, but yeah, that was my lesson that I learned. <laughs> like now, there's a very specific order, and 
you know, you can't just wander around if, if you get a press yeah, there's, pass. There's definitely <laughs> rules with press passes. <laughs> yeah. So, but it was fun. We still, we sent Anthony, he still, he went to go, he had to go cover like Charlie Daniels and, and some stuff. And, and, you know, if you're in the pit, you can get some really killer oh, pictures God, yeah. of that stuff. Yeah. You that's know. like my dream job being a concert photographer. Oh, really? Yeah. It's all yeah. I want to do. I want to sit in a balcony and take pictures. Yeah. I don't even care if I'm front row. Yeah. It's just, just to get a different angle and, yeah, for sure. And stuff. And, I've seen some guys who do. I follow some bigger photographers or videographers who they'll go on the road with like a comedian yeah. or a band, and then they just post the behind the scenes stuff of, yeah. you know, I mean, it's one thing to do that as like a single person and like younger. I could yeah, like right. nowadays I'd, I'd be dead, but uh, right. But it's cool to like see now them traveling. Now I have a restaurant and right. a drug. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's no time to do anything. Right. All right. So, yeah. two, so 2012. Friends say if you could do anything, you say it would be food truck. Yep. And then somebody had just retired as a state trooper, and they said, "I'll do it with you." And I said, well, mm. "Don't say it unless you're serious." <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, that's what happened. And so by, I think it was our first gig was um, the St. Patrick's Day parade. Wow. So we were up and running by then, mm. and um, it was the year that it was like 80 degrees, mm. and I mean, the place was packed. So, you know, our first ever job, and we're like, ah, what yeah. are we doing? That's you wild. know, and um, I know after I had to leave early because I was shooting the state tournament, the basketball tournament mm. for um, Newsday down in Long Island. Okay. So I shot all the state tournaments for them, wrestling, basketball, and wow, and stuff. So, um, so I had to leave early and go to that. I was mm. so exhausted. I was like, <laughs> I was falling asleep on the court. I could feel my eyes just sleeping. You know, I was like, oh, Pat, wake up. <laughs> you're going to get crushed down here, you yeah. know? But um, wow. it was exciting, and it just, like, it brought you in, like, holy crap, this mm. is, like, so good. That's cool. And um, it just exploded from there. Yeah. But it took a while, you know? It's not, it didn't happen right away. Mm-hmm. I mean, I bought my first location from Bob Barker. Okay. I went down to licensing to get a license, and the girl goes, here, call this guy. He wants to get rid of his hmm. his one location. And, you know, I called him and went and saw him, and then he was he was kind of like a mentor to me. You know, hmm. I'd do jobs, and they wouldn't go good, and I'd stop at his restaurant and, hmm. you know, talk to him. And he always said, keep it simple. Yeah. You just got to keep it simple. Hmm. And I tried to, tried to do that, you know, and add stuff to the menu that, you know, we could multi-use things. Hmm. The same product. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I always cook stuff fresh and, mm. and did it that way. So, yeah. And then it just progressed. Yeah. So, what was the food truck scene like back then? I mean, in 2012. There were six of us. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, Steve Street Eats. Okay. He he was there. Um, me. And there were people that I I didn't know. They were there one year and the next year they're gone. Mm. Um, and then the, I think the following year, I think Chicken Bandit came in. Okay. Um, and then maybe the following year, Toss and Fire and, mm. you know, Biblos started getting a truck. And we used to do rodeos down on Fayette at the, oh, what is that building there? The one behind the... the Speedway? I remember the ones on the north side. No, it's, um, what's the art building there in the corner of oh. Edison? Now, well, Gaddison Fayette. Yeah, across from Panchitos. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> then um, it was behind there, the parking lot behind. Yeah. The guy used to do, like, custom woodwork and stuff. Okay, yeah. And um, so we used to set up there. That was where we had um, we had an outdoor movie, and we showed mm. um, Chef. Okay, yeah. And he saw it posted on the thing and made <laughs> comments about it. So it's like, holy cow, look at this. That's awesome. Yeah, so that was, huh. like, that was the, the rise of it. Yeah. I still think, I don't know how you feel about it. You've obviously seen the movie Chef. Mm-hmm. I still think that that was one of the worst things to happen to the restaurant industry because oh God, yes. <laughs> so many people saw that and were like, I love this movie. I love food. I can do it. I can start a food truck. And we can just run rogue and not get permits. And, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, and that's what they still do now, some of them, you know? Oh, I, mean, yeah. I think there's like 150 food trucks in Syracuse. Where are they all? That's insane. Where are they all, you know? I mean, you don't see them out there yeah. and stuff, but... That's crazy. Yeah. I mean... How do you feel? I mean, from 2012 with just a few of you and then now to 2024 and I mean, 20, you know, this past year and since COVID, I feel like since COVID, the food truck scene in Syracuse has exploded. 
Yeah, it's like, I think it exploded because, you know, we went out and did neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And during, like, one of the worst times in our lives, we were bringing joy to people. Yeah. You know, um, the people that came out for food trucks and neighborhoods back mm. the first two years of COVID, holy crap. Yeah. You know, I mean, y- you were working your ass off. Yeah. And it was, like, people loved it, you know, mm. and they were calling you back and they were recommending you. and. Mm. Um, I think we were a bright spot during COVID for people, you know, that they couldn't go to restaurants. They had to get takeout and, and stuff. And here, you know, they would, some of them would have a DJ or a band or they just have music blasting mm. and, you know, they'd have the chairs out and you yeah. know, everybody was social distancing, yeah. but you know, it was, um, they enjoyed it. You know, mm. the kids got to play and, and see their friends and, mm. you know, did it help spread COVID? I mean, I don't think so, yeah. but you know, some people would probably say, well, you were the problem, but right. no, we weren't. We were making people happy. Yeah, so, for sure. Um, you know, that was a, a big thing to for people to be able to socialize because everybody was locked up and yeah. and stuff. And, you know, they, they kept their distance. I mean, people weren't hugging and kissing all over the right. place, <laughs> you know, yeah. spreading COVID and, yeah. and that. But it, um, it changed food trucks in Syracuse, I think, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's still the same. I mean, everybody thinks they can do a food truck, and then one the first year into it, and they realize they got to do the shopping, they got to create the menu, they got to clean the truck, they've got to cook, they've got to do dishes. Um, and it's it's complicated. It's a lot of work. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of work. Oh, yeah. I mean, doing just the, <laughs> like, just Nick's Inner Harbor events, you know, um, uh, you know, with Through and Fry, like, we'll set up a tent, and we did his taco festival he did last year, which was, we thought was going to be a dud because it was supposed to like thunderstorm tornado yeah. that yeah, day right. and then it wound up being great. Right. But so we sold out of food at like five o'clock and it was like, you know, when you're dumb, you're like, all right, this is great. I can pack up and go home early, but there's still like three hours of dishes afterwards that you have to bring back to the restaurant. And, oh yeah. You know, and then by the time you get all the dishes back there, they're, you know, it's, you know, so yeah, there's so much that goes into it. And, you know, I'd imagine on a food truck, it's like almost like, you know, maybe not so much now that now that you're like a pro at it, but I'd imagine in the beginning, it feels like it's, everything's like a special event. It's like a festival day, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's fun. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's fun. It's the events in Syracuse definitely create buzz and, mm-hmm. And um, I think we've built some some really good events in Syracuse, like the yeah. Great Northern Mall. Yeah, that's crazy. like crazy. You can have yeah. twenty trucks in one place, and all the trucks make money. Yeah, and people go from truck to truck and get certain things off each truck, and then they meet at a table and they have a smorgasbord. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like just to watch what they do, how they navigate, and and then how excited they are. You know, and they send the kids to get the ice cream, and <laughs> you go get this, and you go get the lemonade. You know, and yeah, and um. And everybody scores on it. Yeah. You know, if you can't make money at Great Northern, then you're doing something wrong. you got to look internal. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe your food isn't on point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe your portions are too small. Maybe your prices are too high. Mm. Um, I mean, one of the things in food trucks now is everybody comes out and everything's like $16, $17. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people, we're not getting raises. Right. The general public is not getting raises to cover the food increases. And I think that's why, you know, you get so many people complaining about prices and stuff. And, you know, you get the, the people just trashing people on Facebook and, yeah. and and stuff like that. So it's, um, you know, it's a double-edged sword. You gotta, yeah. you, you've got to change. Like with COVID, we had to switch our whole restaurant concept to takeout mm-hmm. and run stuff out to people and, and stuff like that. And, you know, all the third parties and... You know, some of the drivers wouldn't wear masks. Yeah. And it's like, no, you can't come in if you don't have a mask. And and then they would leave, and then they'd leave us bad reviews mm. or something like that. Mm. Um, you know, so you're dealing with a different a different client there, too. It's yeah. not the customer, and they're not caring right. about the rules. Yeah. So, you know, that it made it difficult. But, um, mm. you know, you, you change and you adjust. Yeah. You know, do you want to stay open or do you want to close? Right. You know, well, I'm not ready to end my food thing. You know, I mm. want to stay open. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I dug mm. it out, you know. I mean, I had a friend that would come mm. come into the restaurant and leave a card on the on the register. Mm. And if she got, like, a, a bonus or something at her job, she would give it to me 
to help keep my restaurant open. Wow. You know, um, not stuff that she would talk about to anybody. Yeah. You know, and I'm not going to say who it was right. because she'd be <laughs> mad at me. But, I mean, I can't tell you how important that was to me because it seemed mm. like every time she came in, we were, like, at the lowest point, mm. and we were, we were struggling. Wow. Um, you know, because we lost, like, a third of our business the first day they shut down COVID. Mm-hmm. Like all our walk-up business from, you know, businesses that were around us, yeah. gone. Everybody went home. Hmm. You know, so like that's the first thing you saw that next day. It was like, holy crap, is this the way it's going to be? Yeah. And, you know, we still had the SU students and, you know, the third parties and stuff like that. But then SU went home. Right. You know, we had a catering job um, the day before they went home, and it was for a sorority for 150 people. Hmm. And the night before... The university made them cancel. We couldn't even drop the food on the porch because somebody got COVID. Wow. So how can you justify that? You know, it's like, I can drop the food on a porch and not contact anybody. (laughs) But they wouldn't allow them, and they said they would shut the sorority down if they did it. Holy cow. So, I mean, this is what the girls told us. They were upset because the people were all still there. They were quarantined Mm -hmm. altogether. Right. You know, then they didn't have any food. Yeah. So... Um, you know, this, I mean, a lot of things happened that were like, oh, well, why, oh, why yeah. can't we deliver? You know, it oh, makes sure. Those early days of COVID were crazy. Oh, they I were mean, brutal. I'll never forget. I was driving. It was right before the governor had like shut everything down, and I was driving on my way into Gerhars. I was going in early, and Paul Valenti called me, and he was like. He said, "Hey, if you haven't already, go to the grocery store and stock up. The governor's going to shut everything down today." Yeah. And I like did a U-turn and went to the tops over in the <laughs> ghetto where I was and and went and I was just started like grabbing every canned and bag of rice thing that I could yeah. get. And I toilet paper. Yeah. I called I think <laughs> my, my wife has always had this weird thing of buying like a thirty-two pack of toilet paper <laughs> at God. all times at Thank the house. God. So we didn't have we didn't have to struggle with like fighting somebody for toilet paper back yeah. then. But uh but I was just grabbing all this stuff. And even when I got home, I was just like, try to do it as fast as I could so I could still get to work. And I remember she was, she was already working from home. She worked for the state. Oh, okay. Um, she still does. But uh, she was working in the Department of Health for the state. And um, at the time, she did nursing home inspections. So right. she was like surprised nursing home inspector. Um, but uh, so she was already working from home. But I, re- I came home with like, all these canned things. She's like, what the hell is this? I was like, I don't know what the hell is going to happen. We need to be prepared. But I just talked, I was talking with the restaurant owner this week and he was saying, he was like, he was like, I was making more, and he opened um, like in, during COVID, he opened his restaurant. Wow. And, um, and he was like, he was just telling me things were easier then than they are today. Oh, it's brutal today. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's... tell me about that. What are some of those things that make it so difficult? Well, it's like, a, like even at the beginning when, um, you know, COVID, you had a hard time getting product and stuff. But, for instance, like we used to pay $32 for a case of bacon, mm-hmm. raw bacon. It's now over 90 Wow. I have bacon on a lot of stuff in my restaurant. Yeah. I personally have not raised my prices since mm. before COVID. Mm. I'm going to have to, and yeah. I'm sorry about that. But, um, you mm. know, when you see your numbers and the prices of things going up, but just that one item – and you buy a hundred items; mm. yeah. they're all more expensive, mm. um, and that's the the hardest part. And then the flux, you know, they flux, mm. fluctuate, and you've got one week it's here, and the next week it's here. Well, how do you cover that with your prices? I understand how restaurants are; their prices are, you know, maybe four dollars more than they used to be, or ten dollars more on certain things. Yeah, I understand why they have to do that. Mm. Um, but I also think that hmm. you have to maybe not raise all of the things, mm-hmm. <laughs> three or four dollars, yeah. like the stuff that didn't yeah. get raised on you. Um, you know, like we, we used to get our bread from Aldi's. We used to buy 40 to hmm. 100 cases of bread, depending on how many jobs we had hmm. a week. They cut us down to two cases. So we couldn't. Wow. I mean, what are you going to do? I had to buy yeah. sourdough bread, mm. totally different product, yeah. soggy when you grill it. Mm. Um, you know, and then finally we found it at Cisco. Mm. It was a different loaf, but the same same brand. Um, you know, so little things like that. People don't understand 
yeah. that. You know, you you book these jobs for like two, three hundred people, and you can't get your bread. And I was running, I was sending people to all the Aldi's and getting two cases mm. just so I would have ten. Wow. You know, it was a, you know, so it was um, mm. it was difficult. And then some of them, like the North Syracuse one, they wouldn't sell us any. Wow. Nah, get out of here. I'd have to send somebody in without a PB&J shirt <laughs> to get the bread. You know, but it was that's very time-consuming. Is Would you do that because it was cheaper to go buy it, like, retail at Aldi's than it was to get it from a supplier? You know, it was. It, it was cheaper, but also it was the – I'd gone through all the bakeries mm. in Syracuse, all the different breads, um, and I just couldn't get one to toast the way the Toronto bread does. Mm. And so it was basically that's my product, yeah, and that's what I want, yeah. But then to have a gun held over your right. head that you can't get it, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. like, what do you mean? <laughs> I mean, I called the distributor and everything. They didn't want to know anything. They that's didn't crazy. care. I go, I get like, you know, forty to a hundred cases a week, and you're cutting me down to two. Wow, a week, not a day. That's crazy. So whenever they got their deliveries in, you could take two cases. That's it. Wow. Um. So it was, you know, it made things complicated, and you have to change your product. And, you know, most people probably didn't Mm. notice, but I noticed. Because when you want something a certain way, and consistency is what makes you successful. Yeah. So it, um, Mm. you know, it was things like that. And I'm sure all the restaurants had the same thing. Um, You know, a lot of times, like the burger, you couldn't get burger. Yeah. And, you know, I go through a lot of that. Um, Cheese Mm. prices went up. Yeah. And stuff. And so if you add them all up, I'm like... I need to raise my prices. <laughs> right. I need to definitely raise some of the prices because it's hmm. it's complicated. Yeah. You, you're you're running a, a, you know, you're up, you're down, you're up, you're down, you're level, and you're not. You should be climbing. Yeah. You know, with um, the yeah. amount of customers I have and and stuff, I should be climbing, and I'm not. So hmm. it's it makes it complicated. And wage increases. Oh yeah. 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 You got to pay. Was it sixteen dollars an hour to a dishwasher? And the kids never dishwashed before, never mopped or swept. And they don't, you got to teach them how to do it, you know, and hmm. that's a lot of money to pay. Yeah. Somebody kid. doing dishes. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, wages are, they're tough. Yeah. But you know, I mean, I think they deserve it because you can't live on anything less. For sure. You know, and um, I'm not one that say, oh, they're overpaid. They don't deserve it and blah, blah, blah. But right. they do. But I also try to take care of the people that are older mm-hmm. that need the jobs. Yeah. You know, they, hmm. you know, they got to pay their bills and, and stuff. And, and we don't really have full-time employees. It's part-time. And, yeah. you know, we have like 10 or 12 now. And in the summer we have like 20 to 23. Wow. So it's, you know, hmm. it's a lot of work and you got to rely on a lot of kids. Yeah. <laughs> you just try to pick the good ones, you know, that they have a little bit of work ethic and then and teach them to be proud of what they do. Yeah. You know, instead mm. of on their phone mopping. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, you got to put your phone away. Yeah. I'm sorry. So they go in the bathroom and use it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Guys, come on. No, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh that kind of stuff is wild. I was at a client's and and I was like walking up the stairs and underneath they have like the stairs you can see through, but and that's where they store their liquor and I was walking up the stairs one night and like there's one teenager that works there, or like not teenager, but she's like 22. And uh, I can't believe I just referred to a 22 year old as a teenager. <laughs> I am fucking old. You are. Holy old. hell. <laughs> it's getting um, there. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but uh, she kept walking back and like getting on her phone. And I'm like, man, this is really bothering me just to see yeah. that, you know. They'll get on their phone right behind the, the line. I'm like, oh, you can't do that. <laughs> It's like people can see you. You can't do that. If the health yeah. department walked in, I'd be dinged for that. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay, sorry. So then they'll take the trash out. Well, you know, the trash <laughs> is from here to the front door. You're gone 15 minutes. Right. What are you doing? Yeah. Oh, oh a squirrel jumped out at me. You know, I was like, okay, whatever. That's hilarious. Put your phone in your pocket. And we do. We have squirrels that go in our dumpster, and you open yeah. it up, and they fly out. Oh, anywhere. really? Yeah. That's We've had hilarious. a few heart attacks there. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah. No, but it really is. It's wild. To, you know, it's um, I was, I was uh, going through Instagram and there was some meme that popped up and it was saying uh, in the 90s, your parents had to, would, like if your parents made $90,000 in like 92 mm-hmm. and had a house and, you know, whatever. Um, and the equivalent today for a salary of like the same family, family of four that you'd have to make to live the same type of lifestyle was 215000 Yeah. I mean... That's insane. And who makes it? Right. Nobody. 
like our middle class went into lower class. Yeah. It's crazy. Immediately. Yeah. Um, and I'm afraid it'll never come up. You know, it's. I know. That's what I keep thinking about. It's like, I don't, I mean, I talk, I've been talking to a lot of restaurants lately who have been telling me how bad it's been. Yeah. And I understand that it's January. And yeah, but, it's a tough month. Right. You know, um, especially like breweries. I mean, craft beer is declining, but then you get hit with dry January and then, you know, again, you're really screwed. Yeah. Um, but I've been talking to a lot of restaurants who have said that they've been down. And I think it's like we a lot of us think it's like, oh, well, it's a time of year and that kind of stuff. But I think a lot of I think some of it has to do with the fact that it's just so damn expensive to go out to eat nowadays. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I do it for a living. <laughs> go out to eat. It's very <laughs> expensive. Yeah. And, and then, they, then a lot of times you go, you know, you'll go out and it, you'll be disappointed. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh man, like times are hard. You got to make sure your game, you're on your game, I you know? know. And and it's like I say, like when you own a restaurant, a food truck, you become like a food snob. Mm -hmm. But I'm not, I'm not really a food snob. It's just that I like flavor. Yeah. And so many places just don't have flavor. Mm -hmm. And hmm. it's like. Just use salt and pepper, kosher salt. And <laughs> yeah, just use salt. <laughs> pepper, you, you're up on, you know, you're yeah. up a level. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, salt's different when you cook with it instead of just putting it on after. You don't want people just right with the salt shaker, yeah. you know, like oh, and they got to get more, <laughs> and they got to get more. That means there's a problem, yeah. you know. And I notice things like that when I go to restaurants. You know, yeah. I'll see I'll see people like, wow, they're really putting a lot of salt on. I wonder what they're eating, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. I don't make sure I don't get that, but yeah. But it's, um, hmm. I think that it's hard because, you know, restaurants have, you know, three cooks. Mm -hmm. All three are going to cook a little different. You're going to mm -hmm. have a way that you want it done, hmm. and they're going to do that, but they're going to do it differently, and yeah. maybe too much salt from one. Like, the younger people don't know the kosher salt is stronger and you use less. Yeah. And, you know, I had to adjust them to that. Um, but hmm. it's... Um, I think restaurants really got to worry about flavor. It can look as fancy as it wants. Yeah. But if it doesn't have any flavor, yeah. You got to, you know. Yeah, there's a restaurant that I kept seeing on Instagram and like they're incredibly busy and, you know, the most you know, Instagrammable photo, you know, food yeah. you've ever seen before and I've I've gone there twice over the years and every time I go in, I'm like I'll get like a normal thing and then I'll get a crazy thing right. just for the picture. Right. And I try the crazy thing. I'm like, this isn't really good. You know, like yeah. I'll just, I'll take the, you know, omelet with cheddar and broccoli. Thank yeah. you. You know, I'm fine yeah. with that. Um, and yeah, that is a big part of it for sure. I don't know how many people, there's definitely cr like crazy, crazies out there like Jeff Rogers at Angry Smokehouse. Oh yeah. I mean, he traveled, you know, the country for a month or two months yeah. and went and, you know, went to Texas and Kansas City and met, to go try barbecue yeah. before trying to cook it himself. And, and barbecue is so, oh. so special. Yeah. I mean, everybody makes barbecue different. Yeah. You know, you go to all the different barbecue trucks that we have, and it's like they all have a different flavor, a different style, a different, Yeah. you know, I'm used to brisket being sliced, and you, mm -hmm. you have chopped brisket now and, yeah. and stuff, and it, it's um, all of them are good in their own way, yeah. but different, you know, and Was I Nick think that's one of the hardest ones to do. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. The hours, oh, the, yeah. the hours it takes, especially if you're doing it Yeah, because there's a couple like, um, Salt City Smokehouse who they use a stick burner mm -hmm. and I mean, there's no break on that. Yeah. You know, it's not like a gas assist where you can like toss it in there and, and walk away for a yeah. few hours. Um, you know, somebody who's using a stick burner, they've got a certain level of crazy about them, you know, yeah. for sure. Definitely. Um, and I think that's restaurant life in general. Like we were... We were at uh, Hidden Fish. I've never been there. It's they they just did a soft opening. It's it's Jeff Canales and Adam Weitzman's sushi restaurant in Skinny Oh, okay, Atlas. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they just did a soft opening. Um, what's it? Thursday, so Tuesday and Wednesday. And I got invited to the Tuesday one. And um, so I took a friend of mine and we went to check it out. And it was great. You know, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's we the food was comped. We just paid for the drinks. Which was very nice of them, and uh, and there's not gonna there's nothing else like it anywhere in Syracuse because yeah. it's like real like sashimi and stuff, you know. Yeah. So it's really cool. But um, but anyways, our bartender is really like a mixologist. He's like looks like this kind of crazy looking dude, you know, hair all over the place right. and funky glasses and an apron on, and 
And he's got all these like tattoos on his hands and like like these like uh, gothic crosses on his fingers. Yep, yep. And, and I'm like, all right, this should be a good drink. And so as we're like sitting at the bar talking to him, um, he had the Southern drawn, and I was I was like, so where are you from? And he said, oh, I'm from New Orleans. I just moved up here a month ago. Um, my girlfriend left me, and when she did, I had like four guns pointed at my head. So I thought it would be time to get out of there. Wow! <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> time to leave. <laughs> Exit stage left. <laughs> like part of me is thinking to myself, "Wow, I can't imagine a person living that sort of right. life." But then another part of me is like, "Well, that's the restaurant industry. <laughs> like, you know, it is. It's a little crazy." Yeah, we're not dealing with like Harvard graduates. Yeah. You know, we're dealing with people who, you know, for the most part, I mean. Uh, I went to college, sure, but nothing, nothing that was where I had to choose between like an office job or, right. you know, like I, I didn't have to make an, a choice between like an accountant or an executive somewhere and food, the food business, right. you know? Right. Um, and so, so when I first, when he first said it to me, I was like, when he was first telling the story, I'm like, that's not something as a customer I really want to hear. But then as exactly. I thought about it, I'm like, that's really what this industry is, you know? It's, it's chaotic. It's a bunch of misfits. You it know? Is. And it's yeah. really hard to, to hire people now. Yeah. Like to find cooks. Mm-hmm. You can't find them. Really? It's horrible. Just like the long, the long, long timers got out? You know, I don't know if they got out or they're just not interested. Mm. Um, everybody wants to be paid cash. Yeah. You know, it's tough. Yeah. You know, and in the days from COVID, Mm-hmm. It never recovered where you get a lot of cash in. Mm. Your credit card outnumber your cash like crazy. Oh, yeah. You know, and um, mm. it, we've had people come in off the street out at Liverpool and, you know, mm. I want a job. You pay cash? Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Who, who pays cash? Yeah. Unless I mean, you're at like a festival or something. I go, no. Yeah. I go, sorry. Mm-hmm. And And then they stand there demanding. It's like. What? <laughs> no, time to leave. Yeah. You know, right there's the door, dude. That's Sorry. wild. Yeah. Well, you got a hiring in there. I go, yeah, for legit workers. Yeah. You know, that'll be on the payroll. Mm. And it's, you know, it's tough. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Mm. But they've, you know, they made so much money during COVID that yeah. anything they go do is going to be less than that. Oh, my God. So, yeah. you know, the market's been ruined. The the work ethic's been ruined. Yeah. Um. Hmm. You know, and then when you hire people, you have no idea who they are. Some of them are going to work out and some of them aren't. Some of them are there for just a paycheck. And, yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's, uh, you go through a lot more people mm-hmm. and that's tough. I couldn't imagine a big restaurant that has like, you know, 30 staff there that mm. night. And I just couldn't imagine keeping the the employees on hand and, and stuff. Yeah. And controlling of them. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's it, brutal. It'd be crazy. We had a I had a client during co- who they opened up during COVID also just open like three days a week, three nights a week, only delivery, mm-hmm. and um, and making the menu was five items. It was all burgers. Yeah, and when they opened their the first two cooks they had hired left immediately. Oh, after, yeah. like the first night, and so <laughs> either left or you fired them. Right. <laughs> And so they were just going to shut the whole thing down. And I'm like, we, you just spent all this time and effort and you hired me to like do all this stuff. Yeah. Like, let's keep it going. This is cool. So I was trying to help them find a cook. And there was a guy in town, veteran, been mm-hmm. cooking in Syracuse for 30 years. And he had been, he was just collecting unemployment because why the hell wouldn't you, you know? Yeah. Instead of can. going out. Right. And you're getting paid a shit ton of money yeah. that you'd have to give back. And so... We had offered him $30 an hour cash to work 12 hours a week, and he turned it down. He was like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. I'll just stay home. Yeah. You know, so it was cash. That way he could still collect unemployment. But it was just like, you know, dude, 30 bucks an hour. You know, and he was like, no, it's like, I don't really want, I'm I'm fine. I'll just wait until unemployment's done, and then I'll go back to it. Yeah, we, you know, we'll have, uh, I'll have people come in, I'll be doing dishes in the back and I'll come out and they're like, you're doing the dishes? Like, yeah, (laughs) gotta be done, you know? You have, I mean. You don't have enough people, you gotta do them. Right. You know, and I had to actually put a list up, like, this is who's on dish duty today to make sure (laughs) they're done. (laughs) You know, because nobody likes doing dishes and I get it, but we're a small restaurant, you have to do dishes. Right. If you're not massive, if you're not some massive restaurant, you know, and nowadays, like. 
you know, you don't really see massive restaurants anymore, but if you're not like a really huge restaurant and the owner wants to make money, you've got to be doing, you know, I don't, I don't think you ever as an owner, unless you're like certain, you know, mass, you've got like a bunch of locate, whatever the case is for the most part, you're an owner operator in a single unit. Yeah. Like, yeah, if you want to make money, and you know. Yeah, last night we, you know, we got busy the last two hours at the restaurant, so you know they didn't get a chance to mop and sweep and all that. Mm. And you know, I got back and I just jumped in, and started mopping, helped with the order on. You know, we got a big order in, and yeah, you know, just hop in and get it done. All right. It's not. Don't stand there and watch. Yeah. You know, and it's sit there and. <laughs> do anything you know and then oh thanks for mopping yeah no problem it's my job yeah. i own this place right. you know right. and i'm not a you know i always say like do you think freddie grimaldi would be doing dishes mm-hmm. like, you know, right stuff like that and i make well who's freddie grimaldi i yeah, forget <laughs> it you missed my point <laughs> you missed yeah. my point because he probably wouldn't <laughs> yeah that's wild yeah oh man but it's hard finding the people that will do anything mm-hmm. you know and and that's what that's what I tell them. You, you, yeah, you cook, mm-hmm. but you know you might have to bounce over and do dishes or clean this or something. You know, right. um, everybody does everything. Nobody's exempt from it, mm-hmm. um, and it's a it's a team thing. So if you want to be a part of the team, yeah. you might have to do dishes. Mm-hmm. You know, you might have to sweep. You might have to mop. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what makes us grow and enable to grow. Yeah. So that's good. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Pat, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, everybody's listening, get out to PB&J's Lunchbox, Old Liverpool Road, and right across... uh, Firestone. Firestone, yep. Yep. And then uh, the PB&J Lunchbox food truck is available, I'm assuming, I would imagine, for hire for this year, year. for weddings. And yeah, one of the only ones that it's open year-round. Yeah, there's only about four or five of us, I think, that are open. I know Kelly Tropical and... G Woo's is open. I think Bob Barker's. Okay. Yeah. Um, but that's Yeah, that's it. That's about it. There might be a couple more and they, they cater to catering instead of mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to, to go out in nineteen degree right. weather and <laughs> yeah. you know, people come out and we cook everything fresh, so they have to wait five, ten minutes. Yeah. Um you're not gonna wait in nineteen degree weather. Right. Yeah. You know? It's yeah, like sure. use the street food finder app, guys. Yeah. You walk out and pick up your food. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's perfect for winter, Yeah, <laughs> you know, because you don't have to wait. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, so definitely check them out. Find them on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, book them for your next event this year or find them at any of the big food truck events. So. Absolutely. Thanks, Pat. Thank you. Well, there it is, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Eat Local New York podcast. Again, you can catch the video version. I like the audio version better myself. Um, you know, I think if I was if I was not the the person here at the podcast, I was a listener, I'd be audio all the way. Uh, but anyways, uh, if you do want to catch the video version over on eatlocalnewyork.com, you can also pick up an Eat Local New York card for 25 bucks and then save a shit ton of money every time you go out to eat and visit one of the 150 plus restaurants on the Eat Local card. Um, or you can go over to our YouTube channel, subscribe to the YouTube channel, find the video version there. Again, thank you to our sponsors at Brown Carbonic and thank you to Pat for coming on the podcast this week. We're going to catch you back here next week for a brand new episode of the Eat Local New York podcast. Mm-hmm.